KMTT. Today is Friday, Yom Shishi, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Bamidbar, Kav Chet B'Iyar, Yom Yerushalayim. For Yom Yerushalayim, we have a special guest today. Our guest today is a recording of the actual capture, the breaking in to the walls, to the Lion Gate, Shah Arayot, Yerushalayim, and Kavchet Iyar, Tavshin Chavzayin, reaching Harabayit, and reaching the Kotel. I guess the people who are no longer alive, Motagur, who was Aluf Pikud Amirkaz, commander of the Central Central Command, Uzinakis, who commanded the paratroopers, Paratroop Brigade, who broke, who actually captured Harabayit, and Harav Shlomo Goen, who at the time was the chief rabbi of the army of Tzahal. The recording is was made in live time. It's been edited. It, it's not five hours long. But everything you hear was recorded on the spot by a reporter for Israel Radio who accompanied the paratroopers as they broke through Shah Arayot and reached Harabayit 39 years ago. The recording, of course, is in Hebrew. It's not always easy to follow, not so much because of the Hebrew, but because of the gunfire. Uh, a quick... A quick... Uh, Preview. It begins with the order of the day being given on the Mount of Olives, next to the Augusta Victoria Hospital, opposite the eastern wall of the old city, and then jumps immediately to the actual entering of the old city through the Lion's Gate, Sha'ar Arayot. The voice you hear in the beginning is that of Matagur the voice that com- comments every now and then, describes what's taking place, is the reporter for Israel Radio, for Ko Yisrael. Later on, the voice that is talking to Matagur is that of Uzi Narkis, who was the actual commander of the troops. And at the end, you'll hear Harav Shlomo Goren, both making the Vacha and Kel Malei Rachamim for those who were killed. Again, the recording is in, was made originally in live time. Anyone who, I think, is over the age of 50 and remembers it the first time cannot help but be, but be moved to hear this again. It's, it's an interesting, I think a sad, but, or fascinating aspect of living, living in this world. The things that we dream about and aspire to and wait for whether it's the 19 years no Jew could enter the old city of Jerusalem between 1948 and 1967 or, or I think the way we felt then I was 17 at the time the, the, the 2,000 years of yearning to come back to that place as as as, as Israelis as Jews as, as owners as B'nai Ha'aretz Hazat and then 
when something is acquired, when you dream about something that has one value, and when you actually achieve your dreams, something is lost. I played, I played this tape for my children who are, are good, are good people. They love, they love Yerushalayim. And they wait for the Mashiach, and they thought it was interesting. I played it today for someone in the yeshiva. He was born in 1973. He said, interesting, and he walked out in the middle. He had something else to do. I listened to this tape more than once, and every time I hear it, the tears come to my eyes. You, you are walking. You hear the reporter out of breath as he climbs up the incline from Shalash Patot into the old city. And for people of my generation, you go back to the time I wasn't at the Southern, I was in, I was in New York, but you go back to walking those steps again for the first time, and, and, you're, you're lost into the mists, into the mists of Jewish history. So, I know how people of my generation will feel hearing this tape. I imagine there are very few people at that age who are proficient in podcasts. And for most of you who are younger, I don't know how the tape will be accepted, how you'll, how you'll, you'll assimilate this tape into yourselves. But nonetheless, this is an amazing historical recording. The tape itself is 11 minutes long. I suggest you listen to it carefully. Try to follow. Try to hear what's going on. Part of it is radio communication, which isn't the army radio communication. It's not easy to hear the individual words. And of course, it's in Hebrew. It's in slang. It's in army slang as well. But you'll know, you'll understand what's going on. The voices are the voices of the Israeli soldiers belonging to the paratroop brigade, San Hanim, as they broke in to Yerushalayim ben Achomot, Kav Chet V'iyar, Taf Shin Chav Zayin.
Mana tu dikenali oleh mana ketika? Pengulah, pengulah
ישר הנה אל הרחבה. לא ישנה, סגני מזה הרבה שנים רץ מיד עם כמה חבר'ה והניפו את הדגל לכותל המערבי. ועכשיו כל העיר העתיקה בידינו ואנחנו מאוד מאוד מאושרים.
And we hope and pray and are sure that we will see the continuation of the building of Yerushalayim and the return to all of its buildings and to the Shekhinah Shebetocha, to God's presence in Yerushalayim as the throne of God and the throne of David, Malchut Yisrael and Malchut Shemayim. This week is also Parshat Bamidbar. In, uh, in Bamidbar we have a census of the Jews. We also have a census of Shevet Levi. The Leviim, of course, were counted separately from the rest of the people. But in the end, you have a number for each Shevet, as well as a number of the population of the Leviim. The Mephoshim noticed that Levi is by far the smallest of all Shvatim. There are only 22,000 Leviim. The other Shvatim were all 30,000, 40,000. They were much larger. And they wonder, what's the, what's the reason? Why? What's the logical reason to explain why there were less Leviim than other Shvatim? So the Namban, on the spot, gives an explanation that says, based on the Midrash, that says that in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, the Levi'im were not enslaved. And the reason why there were so many Jews who left Mitzrayim was because of a special bracha. God said to the extent that the Egyptians are oppressing the Jews, so they multiplied and, and burst forth. It was a special bracha, which in the language of the Midrash says that each woman who gave birth in Mitzrayim gave birth to sex tuplets. Shisha bekerasachat, six at a time. That bracha was because they were enslaved and oppressed. Since the Leviim were not included in the slavery, so they didn't benefit from that bracha. And therefore they had a normal, a normal rate of increase, which was less than that of the other of the other Shvatim. That's the Ramban's that's the Ramban's explanation. It it leaves us still facing the interesting point that somehow because of your special level of Kiddushah because of your special status of sanctity, in the end, you wind up having less material prosperity. In this case, not, not money, not uh, prosperity, but less material success in terms of the population of the Shevet. There are other explanations given. The Nitziv says that... Uh, the Ramban's point is correct, but in a, in a more, even in a more poignant fashion. 
he says that the Leviim were in fact, even in Egypt already, were not just historically separated from the other Jews and not enslaved, but they were actually were more close to God. They were Kedoshim Muvdalim Upushim. They were sanctified. They were somewhat separated. They, even before the Torah was given, they were more engaged in spiritual occupations than the rest of the Jews. And therefore, there were less of them, for two reasons. One is, those who are close to God are judged more strictly than those who are far. It's dangerous. It's good, but it's dangerous to be close to God. And therefore, whatever sins they did were punished more severely than that of those who were further from God, who really were, were, were excused because they, 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 they didn't know better. The Chazal said this on a Pasuk, Svivav Nish'ara Ma'od. Those who are close to God, God's immediate surroundings, are, are held to a much tighter and harsher, more severe standard. And the second reason, he says, which is very similar to the first, he says that in fact, it's, 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 a, it's a fact of this world, that things which are more refined on a higher level uh, are, are less numerous. He gives the incisive example is fruit trees reproduce with greater difficulty than, than non-fruit trees. And weeds reproduce wildly. And therefore, to produce a levy was more of a selection process and therefore there were less levium than, than the rest of Israel. Again, it's the same point. Because there's more Ketusha, therefore there are less of them. Which in the end comes down to the same principal point that the Ramban made. That somehow, although for a different reason, the exalted and elevated spiritual status of the Bayim results in the end in their having less physical presence. Uh, one final answer given by the Beit HaLevi, Rabbi Yosef Dovah Levi Salavechik Mibris, with Chaim's father, uh, Beit HaLevi answered, was that uh, it was done Bashkachapratit, God wanted it to be less Levim. Why? Because he said he knew that in the end the Levim would not work. They wouldn't have land and they were supported by Amisel. The more Levim there are, the more of a burden it is on Amisel. And therefore, so to speak, it's a chesed. God is helping the Jews by having less Levim. So he God limits, at least relatively speaking to the other Jews, he limits number of Levim so that there should be an appropriate proportion of the Levium to Jews so that the produce of the Jewish labor will be able to support the Levium as a, as a Shevet.
Now for the Halakha Yomit. He did uh, Modim. The Kahal says Modim the Rabbanan, as the Chazan says Modim. The end of Bechat Modim, between the Bechat Modim and the next Bechat, Bechat Shalom, we find Bechat Kohanim. Medina de Gemara, Bechat Kohanim is said every Shacharit, when, if there's a Kohen in the, in the Kahal. The Kohanim get up and they say Bechat Kohanim. Minhag in Chutz Laaretz is that Bekat Kohanim is only said on Yom Tovim. It's a bit of a mystery why that's true. Rama gives a reason that apparently being in Galut is sad, we have a lot of problems, and Bekat Kohanim has to be said mitoch simcha. So on Yom Tov, simcha, you can say it, you don't say it the other days. It doesn't sound like a, 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 a convincing halachic reason. There's always been a great deal of tension surrounding this with different times, different Rabbanim suggesting that maybe we should say it, but it was never done. And now it's Israel, Bukat Konim is said every single day in Shacharit. In Chutzlaut, we don't say Bukat Konim, or any time when you don't say Bukat Konim, perhaps because there's no Kohen available. So the Chazan says, He, he says to God, give us, bless us with the Bracha that the Konim would normally say. And then the minute is that when he says the three psukim, you don't answer Amen, you answer Kein Yehi Ratzon. The reason given by the Gra for this minute is that Amen can only be said or should only be said after a bracha. Now this, these psukim here are not a bracha because the person saying them is not a Kohen, he's not allowed to say it as a bracha. When a Kohen says, he's not citing a pasuk. He's blessing you. The language is taken from a pasuk because God said what language to use, but the Kohen is blessing you. When the Chazan says, 
He's not blessing you. He's saying to God, please bless us as you wrote in the Torah. And therefore, the God says you shouldn't answer Amen. Instead of that, uh, to indicate that we're, we would like to have this bracha, we have a different unofficial response, which is, Kain Yehi Ratzon. Where Bakat Kohanim is for real. And Yemim Tovim in Chutz every day in Eretz Israel when you are Kohanim. Then after each Pasuk, you answer Amen, because each Pasuk is a bracha. Bifnei Atzma, each one is a separate bracha. And after every bracha, one has to answer Amen. And here too, one answers Amen. What's more, you're not only answering Amen as you would after any bracha, but here you're, you're, you're accepting the bracha for you. The bracha is not a bracha for God, it's a bracha to you. By saying Amen, you accept the bracha. And the mitzvah of the Kat Kohanim, very famous Sefer Haredim says it's not merely a mitzvah on the Kohanim, it's also a mitzvah on Israel. The Kohanim bless, and there's a mitzvah on Israel to, to get the bracha. So the saying Amen is our acceptance of the bracha, and in that way we fulfill a mitzvah of uh, our part in the mitzvah, I'm Israel, our part in the mitzvah of Birkat, Birkat Kohanim. After Birkat Kohanim, the last Birkat Shemoneshoi is Birkat HaShalom. And Shalom, of course, is very closely connected to Birkat Kohanim. Because Birkat Kohanim itself is V'yaseim Lecha Shalom. The Birkha of the Beit HaMikdash, the Birkha of the... What does the Beit HaMikdash do? It Oseh Shalom Bein Yisrael Bein Abihem Sheba Shemayim. That's the expression of Chazal. The, the Korbanot, the Mizbeach, the altar, Beit HaMikdash, brings us make shalom, makes peace between ourselves and our Father in Heaven. And Bekat Kohanim is the Bracha of the Beit HaNikdash, of the Kohanim. And uh, that's why it's in this place. Between Hoda'ah, it's either before shalom, or perhaps it's even actually part of the Bracha of shalom. Uh, in any event, it's intimately connected to the Bracha of shalom, which is the last Bracha, because Chazal say, Ein Lecha Bracha, Shalom, Shalom is the Kalisha Marzika Kobracha. Shalom is the vessel in which all other brachot are found. It's not so much a bracha in and of itself, it's a condition to have peace, to have completeness, to have purity and perfection in which all brachot find their place. Therefore, the last bracha of Shmonesrei is phrased as a request, although we're not in the section of requests, but it's a request that God should give us Shalom. It's basically a request that God should make shalom. There should be shalom b'chol olam kulo. The whole world should be a reflection of God's unity. So too the world should be one and the relationship between ourselves and God should be one. We finish Moneswe, but we will continue in Hochot Filah next week. And you've been listening to KMTT. Today, a bit of a special broadcast, not only Erev Shabbat, but also Kavhat V'iyah, Yom Yerushalayim, the 39th Yom Yerushalayim. 39 years since the reunification and conquest of Yerushalayim. Today, Kavchet Biyar is also not just Yom Shechuru Yerushalayim, the day of the liberation of Yerushalayim, but also Yom Shechuru Gush Etzion, the day in which, the place in which I'm broadcasting, Gush Etzion was liberated after 19 years. Gush Etzion fell in 1948 on the day that the state was declared on Hei Biyar in 1948. Gush Etzion fell to uh, the attack of the Arab village irregulars, which surrounded what was then a very isolated outpost of Jewish settlement. In Kvar all the prisoners, all the Jewish defenders, were massacred after surrender. The other Yishuvim in Gush Etzion 
surrendered the next day, but only to the Jordanian legion, and were taken to captivity over the River Jordan to the Hashemite kingdom of Transjordan. On Kavched Bi'ah, in 1967, the same day that the paratroopers entered Harabayit, Gush Etzion was conquered, and therefore we have a private, well, I think it's a public, it's a uh, national, but national with special significance for us in Gush Etzion, the day in which Amisra returned to Gush Etzion after the settlements that were here had been destroyed 19 years previously, and since then, from the first issue of Kvaratzion, where I'm here in Alon Shvot, about a 20-minute walk away, and it's grown with thousands of people, thousands of people living here, uh, there should be a Kiddush Hashem in everything we do here. That's it for today's broadcast from KMTT. We'll be back on Monday with the Shiur in the Mitzvah HaShavuit, the weekly Mitzvah of HaRav Benjamin Tavori. Until then, Shabbat Shalom, Chag Sameach, Kol Tov, Ki Mitzion Tetzei Torah, Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim.